Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Jeremiah chapter 28. Now we've taken like a four or a five week, I can't remember, maybe four weeks out, talking about passages for perilous times. And I'll tell you, this is another passage for perilous times. When you're looking at what is happening here in chapter 28, I'm not going to go back and do a recap on the first 27 chapters, but to bring us up up to where we're at, we're going to be looking at something that has, I think, application for us tonight. It has a lot of application for our lives. In the midst of the global pandemic that we're in, I think that this can speak to our hearts. I'm not going to twist it to say what it doesn't say, but I think that it has some good application for us. And so the issues here with Jeremiah, he's coming into an issue with a prophet by the name of Hananiah, and there's some conflict because Hananiah is a false prophet. He's one that is uh, speaking lies to the people. He's getting them to not trust in God. Whenever you're speaking a lie to the people and you're speaking something that's contradicting God's word, you're getting them to trust in something other than God. And God doesn't like that. God doesn't like it at all. So he's going to deal with the issue. But in the meantime, we look at this in chapter 28, and we have this this guy, this conflict brewing between Hananiah and between Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah has been sent by God, called by God, And then they come to this place, and remember all these false prophets that would come out? They're constantly coming out, and they're saying, peace, peace. You know, there's going to be peace, peace. In the midst of God speaking one thing, they're speaking another. And they're having this false hope that everything that they want to say, that people will cling on to what they're saying. And the message really does sell. Everybody wants peace in their life and wants to, you know, think that we would uh, just have peace all the time. And and the message of peace, it just rings in in the ears of the people. I mean, you think about today, if there was this peace about this virus or this peace about just what's going on, man, people would buy into it. But there's a reality as well. There's a spiritual battle. There's a, 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 a political scene. There's a medical scene. There's a, a chapter. There's a spiritual chapter that you look at. And really, you have to look at the spiritual chapter to see what's going on. But here, staying in uh, Jeremiah 28 and thinking what's happening here, it's the same thing. You do have this push that you have uh, people speaking this false message, bringing a false hope. And just as the days of when the Messiah came, remember when Jesus came, we've studied and watched and read uh, through the Gospels as he came into Jerusalem. There was the people there that were hoping that he would come and rule and reign over Rome. That was the hope. That was uh, the heart of the people. That's what they wanted to do. And it preached. There was a message that was well accepted by the people. The people thought, man, that is fantastic. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear that, you know, finally Rome is going to be done with, you know. And it excited the people. They didn't want to hear the message of the humble servant, you know, Isaiah 53. They didn't want to hear that he had to suffer. He was a suffering king. They thought, how can I back a a suffering king? You know, that's not the message I want to hear. I want to hear the message that we're going to be victorious, that we're going to rule, that we're going to reign. But remember that for you and I, this world is not our, our home. 
We're just fasting through. We're citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we look at these things that are happening in today's world, as well as back here in Jeremiah, that there's conflict with messages that are going out because they're contradicting each other. And so it's so important for us to stick to the code, stick to the Bible, stick to the chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 28. We're going to see the conflict. It says, and it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year in the, and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, now this is Hananiah is a false prophet, the son of Asia, the prophet, who is from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priest and of all the people. So this guy Hananiah comes on the scene and he's going to put Jeremiah on the spot. He's in the in the house of the Lord. He's got the people there. Uh, the religious leaders are there. The people are there. And he's going to confront Jeremiah in more than one way. We'll see here he's going to confront him verbally. Uh, in another way, we'll see it in just a second. He confronts him in another way. And when, when he has... His people around him, this Hananiah, he's like many guys that want to be heard. They, they feel the need to be heard. You know, I got to get my message out and whatever it might be, I want to be the loudest person. And the loudest person is the guy that everybody's looking at. And that kind of reminds me here of what Hananiah is going through. It doesn't matter really how zealous or passionate one is because here he is passionate and uh, very zealous about the lie though. He doesn't have the truth there. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter how passionate or how zealous one is for the lie, it never turns it into a truth. They're just as passion, passionate and they're just as zealous to tell you a lie as, you know, as anyone. That's why you see a lot of times a great example is the Mormons or the J-Dubs that come knock, you know, knocking on your door. They're passionate. They're passionate for the lie. Dr. Walter Martin used to say if the Christians, and I'll kind of blubber this up a little bit, if the Christians would do what the enemy would do for lie, if they were as passionate, you know, for what the enemy does for the lie. We need to have that passion for the truth. And this is why we're required to be Bereans. You have this guy, Hananiah, comes on the scene. He attracts the people. I don't know whether he's charismatic. He kind of seems that way in the sense of the things that he does here. And you can be the judge yourself. But he comes on the scene and he's grabbing the attention of the people. He's got the message, maybe, maybe, and I don't know this, he maybe have the looks, he might have that charismatic appeal to him, but he's uh, definitely a guy that people are listening to. And look at verse 2, it says, thus speaks, speaks uh, he's saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Uh, so he's saying, he's speaking, Hananiah, in the name of the Lord, but it's not the Lord who's speaking, he's, he's uh, stepping out, saying he's speaking of the Lord, and he says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. That's a pretty strong message. That's a pretty strong message. What Hananiah is saying, what Hananiah is saying is, when he says, I have, he's saying the Lord has. He's saying the Lord is speaking through me. So he's speaking in the first person of the Lord. And he's saying that when I have, but he's making a great mistake. And the great mistake here is not only that he's speaking in the name of the Lord, but he's making a mistake that a lot of false prophets don't make. They're kind of smarter than this. They won't put a date prescribed to the prophecy. Once you do that, you're in trouble. Once you put a date prescribed to your prophecy, then you're going to know whether you're a true a prophet or a false prophet. Sometimes you just let them go and it just says, well, it's not for this time. You know, they, you, you say, well, that's just not for this time. But here, he's going to put a time to the prophecy, that, and that's really going to tell whether he's a false prophet or not, contingency on the prophecy 
that he's spoken. And so the word doesn't come to pass. He's going to be a false prophet. He's not going to tell time. God's going to judge him. We'll see that. Look at verse 3. Within full, within two full years, I will, again stating on behalf of the Lord, bring back to this place all the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back the place uh, to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And so the message here is totally contradicting that which Jeremiah has been preaching. You can just sense the tension in this house. You can sense what's going on here. You have this guy, he's totally contradicting what Jeremiah has been speaking for over 20 years now. There was going to be captivity. There was no doubt about it that captivity was coming. But this guy, with this promise or this prophecy that things are returning to normal, again, it's what the people want to hear. Nobody wants to hear that they're going to have to go through a time of difficulty, even today. We don't want to hear that there's times of difficulty. It really startles us. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with ourselves. And so we wanted just everything to go back to normal. And to hear a message like this, if people were preaching this message, well, I don't know if today we're kind of gotten a, a little bit wise about this stuff, but I hope I hope the church has. But, you know, you get people get excited, and why not? If everything's going to be back to normal, I mean, that's the thing you want to buy into. But let me, let me remind you, of what the Lord was sharing with Jeremiah, just to keep the Lord's call and his word intact. Look at the eighth verse of the previous chapter, chapter 27. You can look back there. It says, and it shall be that the nation and kingdoms which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish. The Lord is, Lord is telling them, Remember, he gave him the, the, you guys go back and you'll be in safety. If you want to stay here, you're going to be in trouble. And he says, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. So just because it may have been a message that the people wanted to hear, that everything was going to be okay, that everything in two years is going to be brought back to normal, it doesn't mean that it's true. It's got to be some discernment. What was, what, was being, what was always being brought out by the prophets of old? It was always this warning. And even Jeremiah, for 20 years, preaching the same message. You have the false prophets coming on the scene, and they're going to give this false message, this false hope. Oh, peace, peace, you know, or the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. They would say these things that we're okay, or we're hiding in the city of Jerusalem. Everything's going to be okay. God will rescue us like he's always rescued us. But they didn't. They they forgot that they had just blown it, and they neglected to see the truth of the matter. So here's the dilemma. Both Jeremiah and Hananiah had a message. Both of them were bringing this message that was supposedly from the Lord, but they were, what they were saying was diametrically opposed. It, it wasn't even coming close. It was split opposite. From one another's message, what do you believe? In the world today, due to the coronavirus, there are people that are supposed prophets and apostles in the uh, movement telling their churches that they believe Jesus will not get them sick. And they go on saying that he's the antivirus that they need to keep safe from the COVID-19. 
Uh, you know, I believe Jesus can heal us from anything, but I'm not so naive to think that because I have enough faith that God is going to keep me safe from the virus. I pray he does, but I pray he keeps everyone safe from the virus. But just because you have Jesus in your life, we have seen plenty of, I say plenty, I say a few pastors that have been noted that have died due to the virus. Are they men of faith? I don't think their lack of faith was the reason why that uh, they were they, that they came down with the virus. Another false prophet during this time, and I bring this up because you're seeing Hananiah and, and uh, speaking these things. We have these things in our modern day. A pastor, a prophetic minister, an author gave a prophecy about the corona uh, coronavirus that appeared to miss the mark big time. Quote, he said, he said, quote, the Lord showed me by the end, uh, showed me the end of the coronavirus, the tide is turning now. Well, that was um, three weeks ago. That was on, or on this date, February 28th. And while he was speaking at this uh, big conference with another church in South Africa, with another apostle that I just mentioned earlier, he told Fox News, quote, it's not going to be a pandemic that people are afraid of, end quote. Well, what happened? Less than two weeks later, the health organization confirmed coronavirus to be a pandemic. And since then, the numbers of cases and uh, death toll skyrocketed. This guy hasn't lost his ministry. They haven't lost his credentials. He's still teaching and preaching today. Listen, it's the Hananiahs and the Jeremiahs are going to use the same ways, same YouTube, the same Facebook, the same message to get out there, the same ways to get the message out there. But it takes you and I to be the Bereans. The responsibility falls on our hearts to know, God, what is this? What are you telling me? What is the truth in this? Because our emotions, we want to hear that, oh yeah, Jesus is the antivirus, and I'm not counting Jesus' power out not to be able to heal or keep one safe. But it's like a shield. It's a false shield. It's a false hope. Just thinking, you know, the same guy that said that called off his school of supernatural ministry to go into the hospitals because he did, you know, because of the pandemic. So either if he's your antivirus shield, then send him anywhere you go and begin healing. So it contradicts his own message in a sense. Let's move on. Look at verse 5, because listen to Jeremiah's response. He says, Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. And, and he's not agreeing with him. Rather, he's mocking him. He says, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessel of the Lord's house and all who carried away, all who were carried away and captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now the word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet shall be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So listen again. The, the thing is that who doesn't want to have peace? Right? I mean, even today. Who doesn't want to have peace? The world wants to have peace. Even Christians want to have peace with what's going on today. 
But the prophets had prophesied a long time ago concerning the things that Jeremiah was talking about, concerning the misbehavior of the Israelites and the consequences that awaited them due to their disobedience. So there was only fulfilling of the, of the prophecy given. And especially with their land that they have neglected to take the Sabbath on for uh, all this time, that they were going to have, they were indebted for 70 years that they were going to have to pay up. And so they had abused the land that God had given to them. And therefore, they were going to have to pay these consequences. It's time to pay. You know, it's not, well, you can say peace, peace all you want, or you can, you know, hope that this thing is not going to pass. But it's coming down the pike. And so when the time comes to pay their due, there's going to be a generation, unfortunately, that's going to have to witness these things. See, what whatever we may do, that may... You know, uh, the consequences, I'm not saying our sin is a generational curse, but, but what will happen is the things that we do can be consequential to our children and to their children. You know, we start, you know, taking off a little, just a little bit off to the right and are, you know, expressing our liberties a little far. And then the next thing you know, our children, well, hey, I'm going to add to that. You know, I think it's cool if we do that. Why don't we just go this a little further? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And in 30, you know, three generations or 30 years, you don't even recognize who Christ is anymore. I mean, look what's happened in the church. Look what's happening in the church, the things that we've accepted or the church has accepted in, in itself. And so the time comes when there's going to be the payment that's going to be due. And think about it uh, for the world today. I think of today. I think of the birth pangs that are happening. I think of the hurricanes or the tornadoes in the south and the earthquakes in Utah. And the coronavirus, that's, these are, in my opinion, these are birth pangs that are taking place. And it's kind of shaking the world and saying, man, it doesn't have much longer before the baby comes. There's something that's going to take place. There's going to be the birth, as, you know, as a woman would give birth. These are the things uh, that we need to pay attention to. And then look up for your de- redemption draws nigh. So we have these things that are so, you know, the world today, birth pangs, and the times and the seasons we know about that we're living in. And I don't think that what's happening today are anything other than that. They're birth pangs. And surely, when you think of the people who would love to hear the message that Hananiah is preaching, even today, uh, you know, hear a, a Hananiah, a message that he's got that will contradict the, the end times. But, uh, you know, Hananiah is preaching one of peace and restoration within two years. People are flabbergasted about that. But it's not the message that God has. You see, the message that God has is the one they're going to have to live with, whether they believe it or not. And so we have to be getting in the Word of God. What is God really saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying to the church today? I think my desire in my devotional time is to once again go through the seven letters to the church's revelation. Just to go through them and soak them into my own heart and my own life and my own ministry. See where I'm at. Where's this church at? Where are we going? Where are we headed? Where do we need to, what do we need to avoid? And so the, the question is, I think in America, for us, it's where, where are we going as a nation? I mean, we don't have any national covenant with God like Israel does. So I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying for men and women to come to Jesus. I'm praying that the church would see revival because that's where it starts. The re- revival means that something that once had life is going to be revived. And the church coming, like the day that it was first born again, the day you were first born again, the day I was born again, I cried. I wept like a baby 
because I couldn't believe that God loved me the way he did and that he would take me the way I was and that he would wash me of my sin and accept me. And then that he would just take me and, and, and just I just cried. It was like, are you kidding me? You love me that much? That we would come every day would be that new experience, that fresh experience, that, that day, that first love. And then, so there's a message we'd like to hear and then there's a message we need to hear. You know, I think of, we'd like to hear that the virus is gone today. We'd like to hear the virus is gone and we can go, go on with life just as normal, getting back to normal. But the message nationally that we need to hear, nationally the church needs to hear, in my opinion, just as one pastor, is wake up. In my opinion, the church is, we should be ready to fill our lamps with oil and trim the wicks. We should be ready and on fire for Jesus and we can't wait for the time that we're telling everybody about Jesus. Let's get busy with the gospel message. Let's allow our lives to be changed on a daily basis by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the message for the world is repent. It's, it's repent. America, repent for all the babies, for all the, the atrocities that we've made. 10,000 babies from January, I believe, uh, until March that have been aborted. We need to repent. We need to pray for our politicians that they get saved. Those people that are enacting these, you know, political offices that are putting these bills across that want to piggyback on things. We need to pray for them. They don't know Jesus. And then look at verse 10 because he says, Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations with the, uh, space, uh, within the space of two full years, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So here's what's interesting about this yoke that Jeremiah has. If you look back at the 27th chapter, verse 1, the Lord had told Jeremiah that he was to make this yoke and put it on his neck as a symbol of bonds. And in verse 1 it says this, in the beginning of the reign, chapter 27 of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord to me, make for yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck and send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab and the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre and the king of Sidon by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, I'm not sure what this looks like about Hananiah taking this yoke off and breaking it down the ground, but we see that it is uh, coming and it's, it's hitting. It's like, I, he's just so disturbed. But he takes it from Jeremiah and he breaks it. Again, one of these charismatic movement or this dramatic presentation by Hananiah himself, maybe hoping that he would, uh, his demonstration might further get people to look to him. I don't know. I don't know. But the people had a choice to whom that they were going to listen to. Once again, you follow the loud guy. You follow the guy who's barking up a storm. You follow the guy that's got this message that everybody wants to hear. In reality, peace, peace. Or you follow the guy who's got the truth. And sometimes the truth isn't what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And so Jeremiah moves in his way. And then look at verse 12 because Jeremiah then, uh, in this attempt to, to leave, 
uh, Jeremiah approaches Hananiah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from his neck of the prophet Jeremiah. Said uh, Jeremiah, saying, "Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord: You have broken the yoke of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron." For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all the nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. Here you have the religious leaders, the priests, the people, and they're standing in the house of the Lord, and they've been watching and listening to these two prophets going round and round. And Hananiah finally gets to this point. As Jeremiah is taking off, he takes the, the yoke off him and he breaks it. Right? He breaks it. And Jeremiah doesn't resist him at all, but he, he's, he's hearing it possibly. I don't know if this is a passionate move of Hananiah to, to prove that his words are true or accent, you know, that they're true. I, I don't know. But though Hananiah is going to break this yoke uh, um, of wood, he could do that all he wanted. It didn't matter. Because the Lord's going to replace it with a yoke of iron. You can't fight against the Lord. What God says will come to pass. It's just, look at it. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. When we humble ourselves, he pours out his grace. But he, if we, we continue to be so proud and arrogant, he says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And look at verse 15. It says, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you will make this people trust in a lie. But you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will, and here is Jeremiah speaking now in the first person of the Lord, cast you from this place of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. You know, I can only wonder now what Hananiah's facial expressions would have looked like at this time. All right, I mean, he's confronted. It's been a tit for a tat. I mean, as far as it's been the word of God to this false prophet, a false prophet, and the lies. But here, they're going back and forth. And Jeremiah just says, you know, you're going to you're die now. <laughs> you're, you're dead meat. And I wonder what his fa facial expressions looked like as he heard the words from Jeremiah. Verse 17 says, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Jeremiah proclaimed two charges against Hananiah. Number one, the Lord hadn't sent you. It's so important as a prophet of God, as a pastor, that God, you have God's calling upon your life. God's calling upon your life. He equips the called, Hebrews tells us. And we're not qualified, or nobody's qualified for any position, but God qualifies the called. And so the first thing that Hananiah is pointing out to, he's, he's um, saying, you're not, you're not called, you're not even sent. The second thing is that you're making the people trust in a lie. And God doesn't like that because God created them to have fellowship, every one of us to have fellowship with him. And not just the people in the church, but he created everyone out outside of the church. You're, you might be listening and, and you're not, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You don't have a, uh, you know, uh, uh, haven't been to church in a long time, maybe never. But, you know, he created you to have fellowship with you. And there's this guy like Hananiah out there and uh, a lot of his friends, Hananiah's that are out there preaching this lie, and God doesn't like that because he's stumbling people and keeping people from coming to Jesus. 
Listen, there's people out there behind the pulpits. They have a mic just like this one. They have a pulpit at church much larger than this one. Camera system, the whole nine yards, following audience, 10 times, 100 times bigger than this one. But you know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you something like this. They'll tell you, theology doesn't matter as long as the spoken word is from God. So you're not to listen to, you know, if the spoken word is spoken, that can trump your theology. So many people, and in other words, they say, are so indulged with theology. They want to make sure that their theology is correct, that they can't let God move in them. I'm thinking, I want to make sure it's God moving so my theology is correct and I'm standing upon it. Now that way I recognize what's of the Lord. And when you see kids running around and rolling around all over the ground, you're thinking, that's God? You got to be ashamed of yourself. And so we all need his word. We need his word to live by. And we need his word for the plumb bob for our lives. And we pastors and prophets, we need them that are going to be sticking to the word of God. Hananiah was not sticking to the word of God. We need a full counsel of God's word. That's what people need, especially today. We need the full counsel. People out there in the world are hurting. What's their hope? It's Jesus Christ. There is no other message. There's no other message that's going to save people from their sin. No other message that's going to bring them a hope. But it's Jesus Christ. He's the one. And that's the message that they need to hear. They don't need to hear uh, broken promises. I mean, they get those from, you know, people that are voting for office. They don't need to hear somebody spewing prophecy of a child of God that can't get the virus. They don't need to hear these things that somebody seems so, you know, they're twisting scriptures and all this. What we need to address is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. And hopefully these birth pangs are taken as a wake-up call to the church, again, to trim the wicks and to, to fill the tanks with oil. And they're to see that we, we instead of playing church, we need to see what church is, that we need to look out there and see that there's people just like us on the outside that need Jesus Christ, but we have to be ready and equipped and discipled to go out and get them. And not only get them, but to disciple them. Church is changing, folks. Church has got to change. I mean, we're looking at church in the year 2020. <laughs> it's changing. The ministry's changing. And not just because we're only online now, but it's, it's changing. So let's just go with the flow of what God has for us and keep true to the word. See, without the crowds that support him, speaking of Hananiah, this false prophet, he was quiet as Jeremiah delivered his, this personal rebuke to him. He wasn't going to say anything. And the word of the Lord was not only threatening, but it was just right there. It was so specific that it was going to deal with Hananiah for the reason that he had counseled rebellion, which led God's people away from following after God by speaking lies. Speaking lies. Again, guy had a pulpit. Guy had a church bulletin, church app, business card. Everybody was applauding. Hallelujah but it didn't come from the word of God, nor was the man sent. Mark 9, 42 says this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Before I knew what a millstone was, I just thought he would throw him out in the sea and it'd be trouble enough. When I got to know what a millstone was, it's not a small stone. <laughs> it's, it's not a stone that you're going to have. It, it's It's... Not a stone that you're going to ever swim with. You can't even pick it up. It's, 
It's huge. There's no chance of survival. Hananiah was going to die within the year. He would last two months, actually. Warren Worsby reminds us of something in this passage. He says, it's always the case that when we reject the light yoke of God's will, we end up wearing a heavier yoke of our own making. Hananiah is wearing that now. And what people need today is the same thing that they needed yesterday is the same thing that they're going to need tomorrow, his word. The purity of God's word, the simple teaching of God's word. How are people going to come to Jesus if we're not preaching the word? How is the church going to continue to grow in faith if we're not teaching the word of God in its context? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to stick to the full counsel of God's word. And then in verse, or excuse me, in chapter 29, Jeremiah's message to the captives, we're, um, where there, there, there are people free or in captivity, there always seems to be a false message. It doesn't matter where it's at. And the devil's going to find you anywhere. So, you know, you may be going through a hard time. Maybe you're even suffering a little depression, maybe a lot of depression because of the virus. The devil is going to meet, he'll meet you there and he'll try and destroy you altogether. Or the, the Lord is there too to give you hope. And the hope may not look like the hope that you want to hear, but it's the hope you need to hear. And keep in mind that this deportation is probably occurring in around 597 BC. So Jeremiah's letter is written a little time after that. And keep in mind too that Ezekiel, the prophet, he's in Babylon. He's been carried away. Daniel has been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. So Jeremiah's talking to the people, trying to straighten them out and give them the correct word, while Ezekiel is in, uh, is in uh, Babylon, and uh, also Daniel's being carried away. So keep that in mind here, because here's his letter to the captives, Jeremiah sends. And it's neat to see that they have correspondence going on. Now these, verse 1, are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. To the priest, Ezekiel's one, to the prophets, Daniel's one of them, and the, all the other uh, people who Nebuchadnezzar, God hasn't forgotten really about them. He's going to bring them a word from Jeremiah. Uh, so all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Babylon, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, this happened after Jeconiah the king, the, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the prince of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. This letter was sent by the hand of, so here's your deliverers, Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and uh, Gamariah, the son of uh, Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, the, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying... And here's the content of that letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused, this is the Lord's doing, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, verse 5, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. There's going, they're going to be there for 70 years. So what he's saying is get comfortable. <laughs> you know, you better get used to it because there's, there's 70 years. You know, whenever we travel, 
Um, I love coming back home because I love my bed. We, whether, whether we're going somewhere uh, to a conference or a men's retreat or, you know, just we're going on a mission trip or whatever, I love to always come home because I love my bed. These people are saying, like, what God is telling them is get comfortable because you're going to make your bed and you got to lie in it. 70 years. And if there's peace available to them, it's going to be while they're in captivity. So he's telling them, you know, you got to get comfortable. There's peace available to you, but it's, you're going to have to learn this while you're in captivity. You're going to have to learn to dwell in the house, to plant gardens, to eat fruit. So there's going to be the sense of peace that you can obtain in captivity. That's amazing. And if there's, you know, peace available, that's where you got to learn it. Now, let me, let me digress for just a moment quickly. What is the attitude while we're in captivity or you're in captivity? I mean, you know what I mean, stay-at-home order. I mean, it's kind of captivity. We're not used to that stuff. So, so what, what is your attitude? I mean, it's hard to get comfortable there, right? And, and Lord willing, it's not going to be 70 years. I don't, we, we can't last that long. But let's just say it's, it's, you know, it's been four weeks, four and a half weeks. The natives are getting restless, I, I understand. But it's hard to get comfortable and act like nothing's gone wrong. But, but listen, it's a great opportunity for us to partake of what God would have for us. This whole virus going out and stay-at-home order, I, you know, we, I think we did the right thing. I think all the churches did the right thing with doing what they're doing, at least up until today. And I don't know what happened tomorrow, but up until today, it's a great opportunity because God has stripped away everything. There's no sports on TV. You can't go to the sewing quilt shops. At least I don't think you can. Maybe you can order it online. But for the most part, everything is dormant. There's you know, no fishing, no hunting. You get mad at the wife, you can go get on your boat and you can go troll down the river or whatever. You get your husband, you can go to the mall. You're not doing that anymore. So now you're, you're in this place to where you, you're trying to get comfortable. You got your opportunity to show what you've really been pouring into your marriage for the last 12, 15 years, or you've been what, what you're pouring into your children because you're seeing them, you're seeing them react, and you're going, Oh no, what's what are you doing? Oh, you're just uh, you're their split image of you. So it's it's you know, you have this time, dwell in the house, build a house and dwell in, plant the garden. So you're in this time, everybody's planting gardens, they're doing honeydew projects, but the biggest project that we can do is sit in our homes with our moms and dads, grandparents and children grandchildren, whoever, whoever occupies that home and get in the presence of Jesus. Let him speak to you. Let him speak to you. It's a time to where it's a Selah moment to where we can just chill and we can have some peace in the midst of this. We can have some fruitful times in the midst of this if we would allow God to search our hearts. Listen, I've said this a couple of times during this time of captivity, but I mean it to be so. I think a lot of times even Christians will come into a relationship with the Lord and we'll come in, we're forgiven, right? We're forgiven of our sin. We're forgiven of, of everything that we've done, past, present, future, so thankful to God. But we carry the hurt with us. We carry the pain. We carry the, the burdens. We carry, you know, all this stuff that happened as a childhood or, you know, what happened yesterday or yesteryear, whatever the case may be. And we need God to heal us still. He's still our healer. We want him to be our forgiver, but he wants to be our healer, our forgiver. He wants to anoint us and wash us and make us clean. He wants to do all this stuff. Now's the time. Before we're set back and, and you know, set out of this thing to where we can go back to whatever normal is. Because whatever normal is, I don't want. You know, I think about, 
I think about, you know, the sensing the Lord in our homes. I think about just this time, how much we can just build, build our life with where we're at now, this, this short time, take it and use it to our advantage. You know, you know, I know we're fixing things around the house, but the Lord is telling them to prosper while they're in captivity. And I'm just kind of looking at this saying, you know, we're kind of in this down moment. Why don't we prosper? Let's not complain about, well, the government this, the government that. Let's just not complain about that stuff. Let's just say, what, God, what do you want done with me in this time? What do you want to tell me in this time? What do you want to change in me at this time? I challenge you. What does he want? Because if things go back to normal, it'll be washed away. It'll just be a time wasted. Let's use the time for our advantage. Let's see what he has for us. See, when they were to get to Babylon, they were to rediscover the Lord. They were to sit there. You can't do much. (laughs) Now you can focus on the Lord. That's a good time to do that. And the same thing for you and I. They were to pray for the city. You're to pray for your leaders. You're to pray for your church leaders. We'll see that Sunday too in the scripture. Pray for us. But praying for our leaders, praying for our president, praying for our congressmen and women, praying for our mayors and our first responders, praying for these people. But let's prosper while we have the stay-at-home order. I'm ready to get out of it. But I know that I want God to get out of me what he wants out of me. Look at verse 6. He says, take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and bring their daughters and husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. So God had a plan for them. They were going to increase in in numbers. They were going to increase. He was going to build them up. He had a plan. If they were to use that time properly, that's what it was about. Although they had to pay a price, I'm not saying that, you know, we have to pay a price of being, you know, but it's a good time to take inventory. They had to pay a price, and he says, but use this time properly. You know, the Lord is waiting for you and I. Same thing. You know, I I think that this is what it's all about. Again, this is only my opinion, but he's allowing us to sit around without any distractions. There's no sports. And again, many there's no, no normality out there right now. As of today, it's coming back. But I fear the day it comes back when we haven't really taken heed to maybe what God has for us. So many are waiting for life to return to normal. But I want to tell you, I don't want normal. I want supernatural. I want revival. That's what I want. I want revival in my heart. I want revival in the church. I want revival in this country. I want to see people, myself included, that will come together collectively responding to the word of God as he's speaking to our heart. That's what I want to see because I think that's the heart of God. That is what he wants to see in us. And so we have this time, all this stuff, gone away. All this stuff. And they seek, again in verse 7, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. Pray for the city. Pray for College County, Columbia County. Pray for Lewis County. Pray for Clark County. Pray for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Ah, see, we want peace and normality. But there's a greater picture out there. We're just tipping the iceberg. I know we, we want to get back to church. And that way, and I, I do too, man. I love you guys. And I love to see, I can't wait to see the people that have been ministered to on the uh, Facebook and on, and on YouTube that have just been watching and they're, you know, being ministered to. And they want to come to service and they want to hear the word of God in person. They just want to be a part of that. But there's something that just coming together, having everything just stripped away. I, you know, I don't, look at, 
We've been stripped away of everything out there. And now Christ alone is there. And I have caused you to be carried away captive. Pray for the Lord. Pray for its city. See, we often look at it as a bummer is taking place. But, if we're, but even in our circumstances, we can have peace and we can learn to grow in those circumstances. For they, verse 8 again, verse 8, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. You see, everything that they had false confidence in was being stripped away. Just like every one of us today. Look, we have a chance. Sit down. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Just be still. And the Lord desires fellowship through relationship. And maybe we've missed some of that. Maybe we've missed that time of fellowship through relationship. You know, before service started, we had uh, our four or five people that are here running the worship team, running the cameras, whatever. And we broke bread together. Because I, the Lord is just putting on my heart, you know, the ministry isn't always the cameras, lights, action, which I can't stand, to be honest with you. But I'm glad that we're benefiting. People are benefiting from it. But the ministry is the broken bread. It's the blood that was spilled. That's what saves. And strip everything away. All the fishing, all the camping, all the... I, I, like I, I long to go camping. I long, long to do these things. But all the church travels, the gatherings, the church buildings, and in my opinion, so that he could have us one-on-one -on -one for a while, just to spend time with us. And then the Lord reminds him of his promises. Verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, and not before that, so after 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good words towards you. And cause you to return to this place, for I know the thoughts that I have toward, I, I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, and give you a future and a hope. And some may need to hear that again tonight. God was telling the people of Jerusalem, the inhabitants, his people of Judah, he was saying, you know what, I'm not done with you. And at a time like this, some people, even Christians, they'll come into this depressive state, but listen, the thoughts that God has towards you, they're not of evil. You see, this is the same, this is a verse that a lot of people get, the same thing that you and I should be taking into our hearts. He has good thoughts for us. And we're going through a hard, difficult time, but God's thoughts for us hasn't changed. He's not, I don't think this is a punishment at all. But, you know, he still loves us and cares for us. And even while he knew that this pandemic was, was going to be a no surprise to him, his thoughts of us remain the same. They're, they still, even today, for you and I, he so loved the world. The, the, the sinners or the, the backsliders or the people that haven't come to Christ, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world. And you know what? He's looking, you know, we're looking at, I'll tell you, his thoughts, his thoughts of us are good. And, the, and when this time is over, and uh, whether it be in heaven or we be gathered here, you know, we're able to come back. His plans are far much greater than ours, and his future is far much brighter. It's not necessarily a better economy, though, you know, if we're going to stick around, that might not be a bad plan, but that's not what it's all about. You see, what God desires, the plans that he has for you, the thoughts that he has for you, he's, 
You and I, at this time, he's thinking, what about your marriage? What about your family? What about your relationships one unto another? What about those things? See, the thoughts that he has for us are not, they're of good. They're not of evil. And so we have to take inventory sometimes and think, well, where are my thoughts at? God's thinking, though, that of me and that person. He's thinking that of that person or that person. They're thinking the same thing. What about my thoughts towards them? You see, keeping this in context, Daniel chapter 9, remember, he had received Jeremiah's letter and he had benefited from it. And it says in Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes, who has, was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of the reign, uh, I, Daniel, understood by the words of the numbers of the year specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So Daniel sees this and he goes, there's a plan, here's the plan, 70 years. And there's no problem here. He sees what's going on here. By the word of God, it pointed it out to him and it was his word that brought hope that, hey, time's almost up. But even in captivity, the Lord was speaking to them. Even in captivity, the Lord wanted to do a work. Now, many have received this passage. It's a rhema, you know, when you receive a word from the Lord. I love the word. If you have it, stick with it. And just, I'll be kind of redundant, repeating myself, but the Lord gave me this uh, word a long time ago when we were moving in this building. It was a time when I was going through darkest days in ministry, you know, I was driving around town, and I drove by the building, and the Lord said, I'm moving you there. And I said, Lord, I'm going down south. I was ready to move. I was ready to get out of here, just leave. And the Lord said, no, you're going to go. I got good plans for you. And I told the Lord, I said, you know what, Lord? Everybody has that verse. Everybody's got it. And he said, yeah. But when I gave that to the children of Israel, you got to remember something, that they were in captivity. And right now, your heart's in captivity. You're in bondage to fear. But I've got a plan for you. My thoughts of you are good, and they're not of evil. Such a good word. And in verse 12, he says, then you will call upon me and pray to me and listen to me and I will seek and you will seek me and find me. And when you search me with all your heart, see, there was to be this activity that they were going to have this relationship once again through their, uh, uh, they were going to have this, though they were in captivity, but they were to continue to seek him and they were going to, uh, through the, all the way through the release of their freedom, they were going to be seeking the Lord, growing in this relationship with him. They were to seize the opportunity. Verse 14, he says, and I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place where I have caused you to be carried away captive. So 70 years exile was part of God's plan to give Judah hope and a future. And once they had turned back to their God, then he would gather them back from all the nations and he would uh, bring them back together again. So even in captivity, God was working. You know, I love the song. He's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. You know, that's who he is. God is still working, even though we don't see it. He's still working. He's still working in this virus and through it. And then uh, warning to the prophets, verse 15, we'll pick it up. He says, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning you, your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. These are those who have refused to obey the Lord uh, and to be taken captive. They were saying in, in Jerusalem, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like rotten figs 
uh, that cannot be eaten, and they are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will deliver them among. Uh, I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth, to be cursed and astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because, and the Lord is always just, they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servant, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Neither would they heed, says the Lord. Um, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the, uh, of the captivity whom I have sent, from Jerusalem to Babylon. So many had been uh, disobedient to Jeremiah's message. They hadn't been listening. Instead, they were listening to the false prophets, the peace, peace, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, these guys that are preaching this message. And all this was presenting this people of false hope, but they were buying into it. So they wanted to hear. And so those remaining in Jerusalem, uh, the Lord said that they, uh, they were like poor figs that had to be thrown out. They were good for nothing. And God would judge them for refusing to obey the word that he has sent out through all the prophets for, for this time. They weren't listening. So unfortunately, uh, the, the exiles, the, uh, they're not listening to God's word of warning either. God's going to take care of it. So Jeremiah singles out two men in verse 21. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah. Uh, this is not Ahab the king, but he's another false prophet. And Zedekiah, the son of Messiah. Uh, who prophesy a lie in your name, again in my name, what boldness. I mean, they're, they're pride. See, people got to understand this. There are those who will stand up and sell a, in a sense, a blind person, a pair of reading glasses. I mean, you know, just because they have that gall. They're just that gall. I mean, they'll sell you a blue car, but they'll convince you it's red. So that In the name of the Lord, though, it's just crazy. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before you. These prophets, no matter how sweet their message sounds, when God says enough is enough, they're going to pay the price. So he's telling them that. And because, uh, because of them, a curse shall uh, be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon. And this was the curse. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who uh, the king of Babylon roasted in a fire. So remember this, Daniel, Daniel was uh, the king uh, tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar liked to cook people in fire. That's what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are down in the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar looked at them and said, what happened? They're just walking around. They singed the, the ropes on their arms and the ropes that held them together, but they weren't singed at all. They didn't even smell like smoke. And he figured out, man, what's going on? That was King Nebuchadnezzar. He turned, stoked the fire up hotter and hotter. But uh, you know what? They wouldn't bow down to the golden image. And, and these guys weren't going uh, to last like that. They have in Zedekiah wouldn't escape the fire, verse 23, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lies, uh, spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. So these false prophets were going to be judged. So be careful who you're listening to. That's the whole thing. Who are we listening to? There's people out there. Who are we listening to? And, and they're spewing this filthy, you know, water in the minds of God's people because they're bringing this, because of it, they're going to have judgment be brought upon them. And let's close it up in verse 24. There's Jeremiah's second letter. So also, uh, so shall also speak to Shemayim, this is a troublemaker, the Nehelamite, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your, in your name 
to all the people who are in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah the son of Messiah the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented. That means they're mad, they're out of their mind, and considered himself a prophet. Again, they're referring to Jeremiah. That you should put him in prison in his stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, yeah, who makes himself a prophet, a prophet to you? For he, speaking of Jeremiah, has uh, sent us in Babylon, saying, sent to us in Babylon, saying, uh, this captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruits. He was speaking what God had told him to speak. Now Zephaniah the priest uh, read the letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. And these words of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send all those in captivity saying, thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehelamite, because Shemaiah also prophesied to you and I will, I have not sent him. And he has caused you to trust the lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among people, nor shall he see the good day that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. Wow. People who take authority over the Scripture... They're, they're dime a dozen. They're on every corner. They're, if you're going to follow them, this is the outcome. It's a false hope. And you can't say, well, my pastor told me this, and he taught me this, and, you know, so I believed it. You're not going to get away with that. Well, they, everybody, the majority was just laughing and barking and rolling on the ground and doing all, all this stuff. Are you kidding me? Shemaiah sent letters in his own name to Zephaniah, who had been appointed the priest who was in charge of the temple. And he exhorted Zephaniah. He said, you're the guardian of the temple, and you need to get guys like Jeremiah and throw them in stocks. You know, you need to put them in stocks. He was referring to him. You know what? He's a guy that is, you know, you need to watch out for. And he was upset because Zephaniah had not reprimanded Jeremiah's posing as a prophet. Listen, what we need is men that are going to stand up and give you the full counsel of God's word. Just simply teach the word. It's not to us to convince. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If God's spirit isn't behind the message, then it's doomed. It's all in vain. And so we, we need to rely upon the simple teaching of the word by the power of the Holy Spirit that as it goes out, it doesn't work in the life of people. It shows a real hope. There's no fake hope here. It's like, listen, we got to trust the Lord and we're going to have faith in him. Mike, why don't you come up as we close this off? Just think with me a couple of thoughts here today and everything with everything going on. There's many voices that are vying for our attention. They're vying for room in our minds trying to take up residency, if you will. And depending on who you're listening to is going to set the stage for either you having peace that we have or the turmoil that you have accumulated in the past four weeks or so. So ask yourself, who, what have you been listening to? And, and how is that transferring into changing you? Are you being fruitful during this time? That's what the children of uh, Judah were told to do. The, the 
people of Jerusalem, be fruitful in this time of captivity. I just think of it today. Be fruitful in this stay-at-home order. Be fruitful. We're going to come together. But let God do what he wants to do in your life. Let him take what he wants to do. Let him just do. Remember the prophet Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk went to God and said, I don't understand anything. I don't understand what's going on. God said, if I told you, you wouldn't understand. I'll, if I told you plainly, you wouldn't understand. But at the end of it, in chapter 2, he says, Habakkuk, the just shall live by their faith. You got to trust God, right? And so think of this. If the Lord was to return today, would you be ready? Seriously. Not just because the virus, hey, I want to get out of here. I can't get out of the house. I want to get out of here. But would we want to, you know, are we ready? Seriously. Just ready. I mean, our heart's ready. And remember the words that Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find the faith on the earth? It doesn't matter whether they're in captivity or whether they got, you know, they're living a high life. It matters whether there's faith. There's faith in Jesus Christ. That you're trusting in the Lord. That Christian, you're trusting the Lord. That you're born again, you're trusting the Lord. Even today, high times, low times, still trusting the Lord. That we're renewing our faith. And if you're not a Christian, when he comes back, you know, to take us home, when he meets us in the clouds, are you? he wants you to trust him. You don't understand anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's where it begins. Believe in that. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and make you born again. Bam, you're on your way. If he comes back in three minutes, you're out of here with us. But if it goes on for a day or two or a year, or, uh, you know, 10 years, you're still with us. You're going to be here with him. That's the greatest part. Father, we thank you for the goodness that you bring. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.